to the Dog Mum Mindset Podcast, where we talk dogs, behaviour, your lifestyle and everything in between. I'm your host, Lauren Hewitt-Watts, and I have the pleasure of welcoming Gwen Bailey onto the podcast today. For most trainers and behaviourists, Gwen needs no introduction, and you may have read her perfect puppy book as a new puppy owner too. Gwen is the founder and director of Puppy School, a UK network of puppy tutors offering reward-based training classes run to an incredibly high standard. Puppy School is celebrating 20 years this year with over 100,000 puppies trained. Gwen is a certified animal behaviourist and has written 13 books on behaviour and training as well. Now, I credit Gwen with being the person who started my whole dog training business all those years ago. I started out as a puppy school tutor nearly 10 years ago, and this was originally something to run alongside my job. Um, I didn't really know where it was going to go. I just knew that I wanted to run puppy classes. So I can really speak with experience from working directly with Gwen and also with working within puppy school itself. I carried on working puppy school for years and years and years. It was always an integral part of my behavior business and I'm still incredibly loyal to them. They do such incredible work and I'm so happy to be able to share everything that Gwen has to say today. So no more delay, we're going to go into the episode and I'm sure you're going to take a huge amount away today. Hi Gwen and welcome to the podcast. It's so lovely to have you on. Hi, thank you for having me. I thought we would kind of start and go straight into kind of the heart of it, which is puppy school, because I think everyone would love to know, how did you even go about starting such a massive organisation such as puppy school? Oh, it was such a long time ago now. So it was 20 years ago and I'd worked for Rescue for 13 years, trying to put back together sort of broken dogs and broken relationships. And that's really hard, as as you know, if you've been doing that. Um, you know, the world of rescue is, is tough. And I loved it, but it was hard. And so I always wanted to do more preventative work. So I'd been running puppy classes on a Sunday morning in my free time for years um, because I just wanted to get to those people that, you know, just wanted to get it right So and, and not give up their dogs at the end of you know, the adolescent period when most people do. Um, and so I just, I thought, well, there came there came a time when I was really tired of the rescue, you know, cycle, because there's always more rescue dogs and more rescue dogs and you, mm-hmm. you do get a bit of burnout. And I just wanted to go into the preventative side. So after the writing the perfect puppy book and doing other puppy things, um, I thought, well, why don't I set up more people to run puppy classes and then we can reach more people than I can manage on Sunday morning. And now we're chaining about 8,000, 9,000 puppies a year between us. So that was the case. And I'm very pleased about that. Oh, it's so nice to know that it kind of came from a, a, a place of, I suppose, like you said, wanting to just help more owners. It, was it? I assume it wasn't ever in your mind, or was it, to, to make it into such a massive thing? Did you just think, let's give it a go and see what happens? Or was it always kind of a... A thing where you wanted to build it really massive. Oh yeah, you know me. I'm very ambitious about it. <laughs> when it comes to puppies. You know, I, I, it never occurs to me to do it small. And, and I think I'd always wanted to do it for the UK. I didn't really. I wasn't thinking about the world. I was just thinking about UK, which is where we know. And, um, 
and yeah, it steadily grew and I just kept doing it. And um, because I could see it was such a good thing for puppies and Mm. I always had other plans and I did some of those and then I came back to puppy school. So there was lots, lots of things kept drawing me back to puppy school, I think. And I think mostly it's the people that, that join us, you know, it's a big family and, and, everybody is really friendly and the people that stay are people that genuinely love puppies and want to do the best for them and for the world of dogs and that's where I belong so um, that's made it a great place and and that's why we've continued to do it for so long. Mm, Yeah as as being one of the puppy school tutors for a number of years you know I can absolutely vouch for it being it's we always call it the puppy school family because it's just such a lovely you, you really make friends there and it's just I think that comes across when the tutors are doing their training. It's not just a career or I'll do this. It's it's a real passion for people. Um, so it's amazing that you attract those people. And, and when you started, did you, were there a lot of puppy classes around? Because I know, I mean, we'll come into it, but there's been such a shift in dog ownership over the years, even, even from me doing it. So were there lots of puppy classes around or were you kind of one of the main people promoting them? There were lots of puppy classes, but a lot of them were dreadful. Mm. You know, they used terrible methods and it was all still based on the Barbara Woodhouse methods of, you know, making things happen. And, um, you know, the first puppy class I ever went to, I took my first puppy, my Ridgeback Winnie, to Mm. a puppy class. And they said, oh, to get her into the down, you put her, um, you put your foot on the lead right up next to the collar and just push, pull her down. So she can't, she's got no choice. And I didn't, I refused to do it. And, and they kept up with those methods and I never went back and I trained her in the garden. Um, not very well, but you know, I, I did what I could and I thought I'm never going to those kind of places. Um, so when I started puppy classes, I looked, I went to all the local places and there were some good ones and, but most of them were, were very, very hit and miss. There was lots of, um, some positives, but a lot of negatives. And so I took the positives that I could and I worked with those and, put them into my classes and then saw what worked and and a little bit like the behavior work I did when we first started um you know the the behavior work for rescue you did it by trial and error and what worked you kept up with and what didn't you didn't I knew my science based training from my degree so that helped but it, it very much was um you know try it and see yeah I can imagine in terms of of putting things together did you because obviously I know the syllabus for puppy school is 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 that something that you did you already know about kind of luring and all the positive techniques or were there any that you genuinely just tried and kind of made up yourself it's hard to remember I knew I, I think <laughs> I'm a great sponge of things you know and and I'll take it and use it and um and I hope I do credit people but I don't always you know I, I used to read until you know there was no light at the end of the day you know I just loved to find things out and went all over I went all over the world doing lectures um, because a lot of people wanted to know about how you introduce behavior work into rescues mm-hmm. and so I used to meet loads of people at conferences and things and learn from them so I was lucky enough to be in the right place to learn things and then I would take them and take them back to my own puppy classes and and use them and practice with them. Um, and then puppy school syllabus is really just a distillation of all that. And we've changed it a little bit over the years, but I have to say that we haven't 
massively changed it because most of it works you know and it works for the puppy owners who don't want a dog that's going to win crafts but just wants a nice obedient pet Mm, absolutely it's such a good syllabus that it I suppose you can tell that it's had so much thought put into it and people always want the same things don't they they're always going to want their dog to come back to them and to sit and to stay it's 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 not surprising that it hasn't changed because people suppose want the same things but I think I suppose that leads into how have you found puppy ownership has changed since you first started almost sort of 20 years ago well I just think the puppies have changed massively you know we've got different we've got more doodles and um, now (laughs) than we didn't have those before but dogs are dogs um but people are different they they have slightly different expectations I think you know there was a time when when people were at home with dogs a lot more um you know they they lived outside I can remember when I was small there was lots of latchkey dogs which I'm sure you can't even imagine but there's lots of dogs you know they used to people less people used to let them out in the daytime and let them free and then they'd come home at night and I learned a lot from those packs of dogs that I saw you know in the area I, I watched their body language and I watched them you know see to see off newcomers and I watched them mating in the park and all sorts of things mm. you know that it was a great education and then in the evening they go home to their their families and get fed and things and I can remember when I was young going out at night with with our dog we didn't he wasn't a latchkey dog but we I used to go out to let her out in the nighttime, and I could hear all the dogs barking and it wasn't like barking at intruders it was almost like um like a conversation between them mm-hmm. and I've never heard that since and you know sometimes I wonder if I actually remembered it right but I think it's you know that's that's very different that's a very different way of keeping dogs to to how we have now and I think people have changed a lot more people leave them when they go out to work for example um and people have like more, less time I think because they're on their mobile phones and and you know we're all guilty of that you and me everybody um and it's difficult to make time for for dogs and sometimes when you get you know people get very lively ones and and the, and the doodles particularly are usually quite lively aren't they it's really difficult for people to use up that energy and you know there's a lot of because of that there's a lot of um, what they call naughtiness going on because the dog's trying to get their attention and find something to do with itself mm-hmm. yeah I think um I always think it would be very interesting I obviously would never do it but to let Alto out as a latchkey dog like I, you can't <laughs> even imagine it now can you to just let yeah. your go off and genuinely do what they wanted to do you just would never do it but I, I think it's a sh- it's sh- in some ways it's a shame because like you said they they used to have all that natural behavior and ways to burn off that energy and now they're at home in these in these houses which in some ways is is much better but um no I to- totally agree with that and do you think in terms of that what issues do you think dogs are facing now that they maybe didn't face when you started I do think they face a life with no job you know Mm -hmm. they live on silk and cushions most of them for a lot of the time and that's not really much fun you know for a dog and um so I think that's that's a big challenge in our society and and I think that's the bit that's changed I think we have less time because we've got so such a lot of interesting things to do now, like with the with the web and and um, you know good computers and things, and 
it's more fun to sit in front of a screen than it is to be out walking your dog. And that didn't used to be the case. So I think that's a big challenge for dogs to sit there on their on their lovely new bed and do nothing. Mm, yeah, that's that's really true, isn't it? I think that they've got their I suppose people get them for companionship, don't they? And um, you know, you get young couples, first thing they do is they go and get a dog often when you when they move house or they're able to. But I think you're right, is they they don't really have a job. I think they or their job is almost emotional comfort for the owner rather than a kind of physical job. Does that make sense? Yes, I think I think that's right. And I think that has changed a little bit too, that they're expected to be the the new baby of the family Mm -hmm. a lot more. Um, whereas when I was little, they were just a dog that, you know, just lived. They weren't they weren't a person. They were just a dog that was around, you know, not in our house because we were slightly different and a bit crazy, I think, because <laughs> you know, <laughs> dogs are always up there, important as the children. But in, in most of the friends' homes and people that I knew, they just were dogs, you know, and didn't dream of of treating them like people. Whereas, you know, we give them people's names and we treat them a bit more like people. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think it's actually a very good thing because you're you're more compassionate towards them perhaps and and you love them more and what have you. But it it's a different, it's a different way to be, isn't it? And I think that means they miss us more when when we go out. Mm. Um, so separation issues and and not even if you don't have if your dog doesn't have issues, they may be very lonely and feel not very nice when you go out if if when you're there you're very much um you know treating them like a a little person yeah I think um it's interesting actually because I was in a meeting with somebody else and they were kind of saying about how difficult it is because people do now treat their dogs like people um and then I'm sat there with my you know dog mum mindset um and (laughs) I do I do definitely understand that side of it because you know, that's kind of why in sometimes my business has done quite well, because I'm appealing to those people who do treat themselves as parents and, and treat their dogs as very much part of the family. But I definitely can see that that's where we have to be careful. And in terms of kind of separation, that's why I'm quite careful. People saying that they they you shouldn't cater to their every whim all of the time. Um, do you think that's the case that maybe sometimes the lines have got a bit blurred? Um, I think I think there's no harm in treating your dog like a child. You know, goodness knows mine have always been my children. And, and so I'm not one to preach that you shouldn't treat your dog like a child at all. And and in many ways, dogs get a lot of privileges because of that. Um, mm. I think it's more about the owner's expectations, um, particularly if they don't understand that they are a different species and they expect them to behave like a person with the same kind of intellect. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where it falls down rather than not being stern enough I think it's more about expectations and understanding that dogs have a limited capacity to think you know they've got a smaller proportion of the brain devoted to thinking than us um, they can't possibly be expected to think like we do they don't have you know they don't sit there thinking about what's for dinner or they might be thinking they're hungry but they're not, <laughs> they're not imagining you know a piece of rump steak or anything because mm-hmm. that's beyond their ability but um, so I think it's about people people's expectations and whether or not they can treat them like a different species while also treating them like a child and that's that's the tricky bit I think you know it's all very well to I think maybe just if you if you treat them like a a two-year-old child um, which Mm. is about their capability level 
then it's okay. But to expect more, which I think a lot of people do. And I think we're all guilty a little bit of that because, you know, until we really know, we kind of think, oh, you silly dog, you know, you know better than that. But actually, they probably don't. So it's about keeping expectations and and having limitations to what you're expecting them to do, I think. That's such a good way of putting it. That's a much better way of saying, yes, you can treat them as as nicely. You can be a dog mum. You can do all of these things, but you need to know, like you said, they're a different species. Those expectations, we place a lot on our dogs to give us almost everything that we'd expect from another person. Um, And I think allowing them to be dogs is a really good way. And how would you do that if you had somebody that's listening to this and they're thinking, oh, maybe, maybe I need to, you know, maybe I have been expecting too much from my dog. What would you say to them to go out and do with them? Oh, I think, I think it's about knowledge. And it's about, it's about learning. The first thing you could start with, for example, is, is exploring information about their senses and how their bodies operate, because I think they do see the world in a very different way from us. You know, we all know that their, their scenting abilities is so much stronger, and that's their predominant um, ability, whereas ours is sight. And that, you know, just knowing that they can't see a red ball on green grass, for example, but they have to smell it, puts puts things in perspective. If you throw a red ball and it goes into the into green grass and they can't distinguish the difference and they can't find it, and, and it's right in front of their nose, you or right, well, right in front of their eyes, you might mm-hmm. think well, they're being stupid, but actually it's because they've got very different bodies from us. And trying to think of how they see the world and with with such limited intelligence and that's not being nasty that's just the way it is and trying to trying to put them put yourself in their brains and bodies um i think is the answer to real good compassionate care because then you start to realize that you know when you leave them behind they probably do genuinely feel like a a two-year-old child that's been left and it's really important to leave them in a safe place where they feel safe you know for example if if i take them on holiday i don't just plonk them in the hotel room and then rush down for dinner um because i know they'll be thinking oh this is a new place and i'm not yeah. sure i feel safe here um so it's having that kind of understanding i think that's important to maximizing your um, ability to care for them well mm-hmm. and do you think breed comes into it as well sort of looking into what breed they have and what they might need potentially I think so. I mean, a dog is a dog, but their breed differences make a massive difference to their desires and their their behavior to some degree. So, you know, if you like, for example, I've got Vizslas and I've got a Vizsla who was bred to be a working dog. So he was extra lively when he was younger, but he will, he's, he's bred to be a hunt point retriever. So he's bred to go out with a, with a, someone with a gun and he's supposed to flush things and then wait and you shoot them and then he collects them, brings them back to you. So, um, no, no, not that I'm into shooting. I'm vegetarian, so I'm not into that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just to make that clear. <laughs> but he has amazing um, genetic ability to do those things. So if we're out on a walk, he'll see something. And well, both of them, I've got two visitors and both of them will stop dead. So mm-hmm. not and and my husband who, who used to keep sight hounds says, why do they stop? You know, why don't they just yeah. run after like the sight hounds? Well, it's because they're naturally sticky and their 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 genetic makeup has said, I see prey animal, I need to wait. Mm-hmm. Um, and then bringing things back, you know, that it's very easy to teach them to to do a 
to do a recall. So when I go to do my um, my dummy gun dog work, you know, it's it's so easy. And people say, oh, your dogs are so good. But actually, you know, it's a tool for the job. And, and when you want to teach them what they're supposed to be bred for, it's really easy. So we've got these dogs that have all these genetic inherited abilities. Um, a lot of people, when you ask them at puppy class, because you'll know this because we used to mm. do this, they don't know what what the genes are for. They just like the look of the dog when they bought it. They don't even know what their ancestors were bred to do. So they don't know about that genetic capability. So one of the things people can do is, is look up what their dogs were bred to do and look on many websites and, and find out really how those dogs came about and what, what their capabilities and what their in, inherited makeup is like. Because mm-hmm. that that allows you to, you know, if, for example, on my dog's birthdays, we I shut one of the whoever birthday it's not I shut them away so they can't see us. Yeah. We go out in the field and we do like an hour's worth of of gun dog work oh. because they absolutely love it because it, it's it's right in there on their their natural scale. They've been trained positively um, and they just can't wait to do it. So um, so find out what your dog can do, what he's been tra- what his he's naturally inclined to do, and then find games that tap into that. And if if in doubt, do scent work because that's a great way. Most dogs love scent work. It's really easy for them. They love to do it. And I'd encourage anyone to do to go to scent work classes or man trailing or whatever else it is nowadays that that you can find to do to, to use your dog's ability to find a scent because they they really do love it. Yeah, it's so natural for them, isn't it? Like it's it's yeah. it's like how we use our eyes, isn't it? It's it's, it's easy, yeah, easy for them to do, and it's. Uh, relatively easy for us to grasp so um yeah. that's brilliant and and in terms of um you've kind of covered that really nicely but if you had someone that was a brand new puppy owner and you had to give them one piece of advice in terms of their training is there anything I suppose there's so much that you could cover in terms of your, so your puppy's school it's probably a very hard question but um, how long do we have <laughs> It was so I'm I've always been a behaviorist first and a trainer second. Um so if I'm allowed to, I would say puppies need love and security. Mm-hmm. And if you provide that, you can teach them anything. So but it it's amazing how many puppy owners, you know, you go to their house with a problem, they've got a problem and they ask you to come and help them. It's amazing as you as you well know, um, how many people just either are not giving enough love because either they so there's loads of reasons why that might be it might be that they lost an old dog and they can't give love to the new one yet um it might be that they've got loads of children they're giving lots of love to the children there's nothing left over for the dog um there's there's a, a huge number of reasons but if that dog's not getting loved it's they can turn into real handfuls and the other thing is security they have to feel safe um so when you get a, a baby puppy home the two things love and security let them feel safe make them feel that they're they're part of the family really quickly they're needed they're wanted but they're also going to be protected by you as the parent or um, if there's two of you as the two parents make sure there's nothing as much as you can nothing horrible happens to them and then that provides such a good grounding um, you can work from there and then it's a matter of then taking the good puppy classes um, and only using positives you don't really need to use anything negative you know it's it's counterproductive so um, let's just focus on the positives and make sure you're playing 
And then lots of positive training, get a good puppy class will help you learn what to do, but also keep you motivated because a week goes really fast in our time. Um, and it comes around really quickly, doesn't it? And you know, if you've done, you know, if you've done any kind of classes um, that you have to practice for, you think, oh no, the day before I must do all my homework. And that's no way to train a puppy. You kind of have to sort of do it every day. But if you're going to class, it gives you sort of an incentive and, and it helps you sort of um, reminds you to do the work. So, so important when puppies are young to get it done quickly um, to join a good class and then do lots of reading, then you're all set. Mm, absolutely. I think that the nice thing is they get um, set homework, don't they, at the end of each class. And I think that definitely gives you things to kind of tick off and, and to go and do when you've been as part of puppy class. But I think the love and security is a really, a, a really good way of putting it because it's, yeah, it, it's the relationship that you want to get right, isn't it? That you, that they trust you and they know that you're going to look after them. And so they don't need to do anything about you know they don't you take it into their own paws in in, in some yeah. ways yeah absolutely something as simple as nail clipping for example mm-hmm. if you haven't put enough into that trust bank account with all the things you're doing in terms of positivity and 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 loving them and everything then when it comes to something like nail clipping which which most dogs find a bit unpleasant even if you know you trained them and and taught them from an early age they still don't really like to be manhandled and have something happen to them their bodies mm-hmm. um but if you've if you've got that that relationship and that trust those kind of things become much more easy for them to cope with um because you've put so much in the in the positive balance that they can take a little a little rain that falls in every life yes that's such a good way of putting it yes that's, yeah it's because the, yeah there's definitely things that they have to go through. you know every everyone has to every puppy has to go through certain things that they maybe would choose not to if they didn't have to but as long as they trust you and they know that you aren't going to hurt them then it makes it a lot easier what what mistakes do you think people make um, when they get a puppy I'm sure there are many but particularly yeah. now yeah yeah I think I think rough handling since we're talking about handling I think rough handling and they don't mean to be rough but they they just are not going slow enough um it's it's something that you know they don't think they're going fast because it's just they're busy in their day you know and they think right I'm going to I'm going to brush the dog or I'm going to rub him down because so that he can come in because he's been wet outside and they want to get it done and, and get on with making the tea or something but for the dog's perspective he spent maybe I don't know too many hours probably alone and he spent a long time doing his own thing, chewing his toys, whatever he normally does. And then a human comes along and tries to do stuff with him and doesn't take the time to let him become accustomed. So I think I think rough handling, unintentional rough handling is something that I see a lot of. And if people would just slow down and have some have some understanding and watch the body language, you know, at, at puppy classes, at puppy school now, we teach people to do um, a three minute hands on, oh, sorry, a three second hand on, hands yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> three minutes. <laughs> and stop and assess. And in three seconds, you can just about touch the back or touch the chest or just run the hand down the leg. And if the puppy says with its body language, you know, it's his back and it's a bit wild eyed or it's got its tail under or it just moves away a little bit then that's too much and you just go slower. So three seconds and then assess is a really good way to, you know, things like putting on harnesses. A lot of people 
rush to put on harnesses and the dog says, no, I don't like it, and then runs and hides when they get the harness out. So maybe move the, move the harness to towards them and then three seconds and assess. And if the dog says, no, thank you, then you pair it with food so that it becomes a nice thing instead of a horrible thing and you progress from there. But taking time to do that and, and watching and assessing what the dog is feeling like, I think it's really essential. And then that brings that back to the, the trust account and the, the relationship that you have with your dog. And then eventually, you know, if your dog loves you and, and really trusts you, they'll do pretty much anything to please you more, more than likely, unless they're a hound <laughs> or a basset. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Oh, no, that's that's really good advice. I, I definitely think, because um, people, I, do you think that maybe because people are so used to today, they get everything so instantly. So Amazon, they get it the next day. You can watch whatever you want on television. Do you think that plays a part into, have, have you seen a shift in people being more impatient with their puppies at all? I don't really know what the reason is, but I I have seen a shift. Yeah. And and I I put it down to the fact we're all a bit more busy because, mm. because we're screen, our screen time is so high. So there's a lot less time for everything else and real things get less time you know and and dogs are one of those real things it's hard to be it's hard to resist you know if you're taking your dog for the for a walk and your phone rings and it's your friend how hard is it to say oh I'm not answering that till I get home because I'm busy with my dogs you know it's it is hard and I think we're all we're all guilty of um spending too much time on screens and that's what takes the time away from dogs so I'm not sure what the answer to that is you know but I think we do need to slow down a bit and and give them a bit more time if we can okay I think that that's a good less time on your screens it, <laughs> being more intentional about your time on screens m- might help um maybe not having your phone on potentially when you go on a walk or having it with I suppose it's that that balance isn't it that people like to take their phones out in case something happens but like you said it's so tempting to just go on your phone um but yeah maybe that's really good advice to people maybe try and reduce it a little bit and and see what you can do with your dog instead because probably it's going to have a good effect on their mental health and and health and all of those things as well reducing they always say don't they reducing your um screen time I'm, I'm a great fan of working walks as well you know you just don't go on a walk and that's it you you take something out some things out with you and you do little sniffing exercises and you know maybe a little bit of ball throwing and then maybe a little bit of something else and a bit of training and this and that and and in different places there might be some things to jump on or over so there's lots of things you can do on a walk that isn't just boring walking if if you're bored you know mentally you could do things with your dog and get into that habit again classes are quite good because they force you to think about what you're going to train next and you know whether it's whether it's puppy classes when puppy's little or it's you know older dog classes you know you can do all sorts of things you can train for and it encourages you. I'm a really lazy trainer. And the only reason I'll train is because there's some kind of competition coming up or something. Or, you know, I'm going to a, a, the next class and I have to, my dog has to do the right thing. So, you know, those, those kind of things, those the classes and, and getting involved in clubs and things really encourage you to, to do things with your dog, which I think is very beneficial for the dog in question. And obviously for puppy school, anyone listening they can go and literally look on the website and find their their closest class but what what is the what are the signs of a good dog training class signs of a good dog training class are Mm. that um if you go without your puppy I always encourage people to do this because I think you can tell so much and it when you're not 
messing around with your own puppy. You can have a look at what everybody else is doing and how they're learning. So select your puppy class and then ask to go and have a, have a quick look. And you should see everybody learning. The puppies should be moving forward in their learning. The teacher should be positive with the people and the puppies. That's really important. Yes, yeah. They should really know what they're doing, as in um, when they when they show a technique, it actually works and, and the puppies learn from it and then the owners can learn as a consequence. There should be lots of demonstration because if the people are not demonstrating, they usually can't do it themselves. They're just talking about it. So I'd want to see lots of demonstration and then coaching of the owners, positive coaching to get it right. Obviously no negatives and lots of lots of games, toys as well as as well as food, because food isn't the only answer to rewarding dogs. Um, so lots of games of toys and just a positive atmosphere really where people and puppies are actually pleased to come into the class and not scared and afraid like like they used to be in a lot of classes. Aww. It's just it's, it's trying to get people to make the right choices with their puppy because I know that today there's a lot of different types of classes about probably you know, more so than years ago. There's lots of people who have taken their own techniques or they've developed this new way of doing something. It seems like there's always different ways. But I think if everybody come back to your advice and just go with what what feels good, what's positive, what's reward based, I think that would be really useful for for people's puppies. And in terms of puppy school so if somebody was listening to this and they have had a puppy and they've absolutely loved training them and they thought right I want to be a a puppy school tutor what would be what would be their route into doing that Um, because I think you're probably the best person to to explain that (laughs) okay so so we even though I do say it myself we have an amazing way of training puppy tutors now we've got um, we have they come in for a live weekend then we do lots of online stuff with them they do video coaching with their regional manager and they do a practical course and then they do some correspondence course exercises as well um they're mentored and so it's a really good educational program that we've got going for them we run courses autumn and spring um so there's an autumn one coming up so if you're at all interested all you need to do is go to the puppyschool.co.uk website look under tutor vacancies and there's loads of information there in an application form and if you get in touch with us via the application form then we will contact you the regional manager in your area will contact you and then just talk to you about how it all works and um, whether or not you'd like to join Oh, that's brilliant. And and in terms of sort of prerequisites, is there anything that you need them a certain level of experience or does that is it really a case by case situation where you will speak to them and find out what would be suitable? Yeah, it's always a case by case, but we do really need um, practical hands on with other dogs. So not just your own dogs, but some kind of extra work with work experience with dogs or being around other dogs or handling other dogs you kind of need to know what different dog personalities are like and how to how to approach them and how to be with them and have thought about that and you know some young very young people haven't had a lot of experience and that doesn't matter too much but we needed to have a certain amount and yeah so it's just it's just really a matter of having that hands-on experience and we will train you you don't have to have any training knowledge or ability at all brilliant that's so good to know because um I'm sure there'll be people listening who maybe do a job that isn't in the dog industry but have started you know how people do they get really into it and they start volunteering at classes and all of this so 
it's nice to know that there's a way that those people can come in and become a puppy school tutor without huge barriers in front of them I'm sure there'll be someone listening who's like thinking I want to do it and hopefully we'll listen to this and think well maybe I can so um, yeah we've had people that have been really keen before and um so but haven't had much experience so they've just volunteered at a local rescue and done six months to a year with them and by the time they've got through the course and out the other side they've got loads of of good hands-on experience so yeah it's not impossible and, and we can guide you through that if you get in touch and it's just such a nice I mean think some because some people do it part-time don't they alongside other, another role and some people do it full-time but it's it's such a nice thing I think part-time it's a lovely thing to have because you kind of go on a Saturday morning I'm going to go and train my puppies and it's yeah it's amazing so yeah there's lots of scope for people and it really fits into people's lives as well doesn't it like it's like you said it's not it's really down to them to make it very successful and people tend to do really well with them don't they do they normally run two is it two classes a week yeah we just yeah. ask people to to commit to work running two classes a week and then after that it's up to them um so as you quite rightly say we have people that just do a couple of classes on on the weekend and do a full-time job the rest of the week um we have people that it's almost their full-time job doing it so it just depends how much time you've got to commit and people say you know it's a lovely part of their week um there's a lot of people that have very stressful lives and stressful jobs and even people that have had babies and then they're back do running puppy classes like a few weeks later and I think well are you sure and they say yeah it's just such a lovely thing to do that we just love to do it so you know it is a nice it is a nice thing because you're helping both the people and the puppies and often children come to class as well and so so it's it is a lovely thing as you know to Mm. those classes yeah yeah, it's making me want to go and run some now. <laughs> Come back to us, <laughs> Yeah, I do. It's it's such a nice thing to just go along and you have all these puppies and they all love you as well because obviously you, it's not just because of the treats, it's because they you understand them and you speak to them in their language and you keep them safe and so they they love you. And yeah, it's, it's really lovely. So honestly, if anybody's thinking about it, then do go to the website because um, yeah, it would be lovely to kind of, keep keep positive trainers coming out and and, and doing all of this for, I, for I love it when you when you're walking down the street some other time and this fully grown dog that you knew as a puppy and you only remember as a puppy comes running up to you all friendly and they said oh we, they, we went to your puppy classes and you hadn't realized they'd grown up you know and they're a completely big dog now Oh, it's so <laughs> lovely we we moved um and we saw I bumped into one dog down sort of a lane and he came to our puppy classes but it must have been five years ago it was a long time ago and he remembered me which was lovely oh, yeah. they never forget when they when you meet them when they're little they never forget no and there's there's another one and it must have been seven years ago and he still remembered me and I was and it's not <laughs> because people say they forget but I don't I don't think they do I think yeah. they you know is it maybe the scent or the they, they, yeah it they will just be. Know, yeah. don't they um but yeah no it's such a lovely thing to do and I had a question actually for you, which was, so it's an interesting one, but when you're out with your dogs and, you know, you get somebody or you're, you're at a party or you're somewhere and someone comes over and they start talking about dogs. How do you deal with that? Because it must be so, such a strange situation to be like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm author of such a high best-selling book and I run puppy school and you don't ever want to be like, don't you know who I am? But I just wondered how you deal with that situation. <laughs> oh, I- <laughs> 
I used to, um, when I was younger, I used to spend hours and hours answering questions and mm. things. You know, anyone who would listen to me, I would be talking to about things like this. But yeah. you do grow out of it as you get older, as you know. And once you've done public classes for a while, you know, you don't you don't necessarily want people to stay over afterwards asking questions um, because, you know, you've done all that a hundred times. But sometimes it's just... It just depends. For me, it depends on the person and how nice they are about their dog and how upset they are that their dog has a problem. I had, for example, I had a piece of furniture delivered at the crack of dawn the other day and the man saw our dogs and he said, oh, they're so lovely. I've got I've got a little French bulldog at home. We won't leave the house because something happened to him and he was describing what happened. And I thought, oh, the poor man, he just wants some help. And so I spent just a tiny bit of time explaining what how he could start moving the puppy forward to the end of the gate and and how to take time and not rush him and things like this and and he said oh thank you so much and and it was it was just worth it you know even though it was early in the morning and I I really wanted to go back to bed (laughs) it was it was kind of worth it so I don't know I just I do it on it on a person by person basis and if they're nice to me and they're not pushing and they're asking nicely and they want it for genuine reasons and you think they're the kind of person that might do the work, then I'm happy to talk to them really. Oh, that's really nice to know. Yeah, it's it's hard, isn't it? Because everyone loves to talk about dogs and sometimes you want to just get on with what you're doing and sometimes, like you said, you want to talk about it. It's probably more difficult when people are have their own opinions and they want to put those opinions across I suppose it's just a case of changing subject and saying let's talk about something else yeah there's a there's just a lot of opinions in the dog world and it's just trying to keep yourself sane sometimes when talking to people isn't it oh I've definitely stopped I've stopped doing that because I, <laughs> I used to I used to want to you know help the world understand positives and so I'd take on anybody who I thought wasn't saying quite the right thing mm-hmm. um but I've, yeah, I've definitely got too old for that now. And and people are entitled to how they think. And, you know, we all come, it's all a journey for us, isn't it? We we all have our own little path and it's up to each individual to learn as much as they can. Um, and if someone has a different attitude, then I think, well, they just haven't learned enough yet. <laughs> to oh. know the same things as me. So I just, you know, I just, I don't take those kind of things on now unless, Unless there's someone directly in front of me that I can influence that's got the wrong end of the stick, maybe someone at the end of public class. And I think I just must tell you this little bit of information because it could make a massive difference to your puppy. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'll just, you know, people, professionals, I think I, I'm i I'm not in the market anymore for trying to change their mind. They'll come to they'll come to the right path at the at when they've learned enough. And, and it's up to them to do that. That's really good I think for people to know even actually dog I think some dog owners feel like that that they have to they feel like they have to take it on and they have to take on all of the the opinions and and change their mind and I think it becomes very very stressful um, particularly for for the type of people who do puppy school training and and positive reward based feel like they have to take like you said take on the world and answer these opinions and change their minds but I think the way that you've put it is brilliant to hear that sometimes you can't and you just have to focus on the good that you can do. Yeah, I think it's I think it's working for rescue for 13 years. You know, you learn that you can't help any dogs apart from the one in front of you, that you've got the, the capacity to help, you know, and you learn to have a bit of a blinkered approach and not say, I'd like to take on the world. You know, I when I see 
the YouTube videos and the reels and things, I think, oh my God, it's not the thing you should be doing to that puppy. Mm. Um, but I can't help it. You know, I, I can't not see it. Once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. And and it makes you stop watching those things, doesn't it? But I can't help it because I'm not there. So sometimes you just have to let those things go and focus. I try to focus on the positives that and things I can achieve um, and and put energies into that because that's the only way that, you know, things get done really, isn't it? And I think maybe sticking to keeping the, the trainers staying positive as well and, and with this kind of mindset might really help because I think it, yeah especially the YouTube the TikToks all of those things that people maybe see and you you see things that you don't want to see um rather than, you you can't take all of that on you do just have to focus on, on what you can do but I know it, it's easier said than done I think especially when you start yeah. out I remember when I started out um you probably would have said like everyone you, you you're like oh I have to I have to make everyone positive and reward based and then <laughs> you just you start to I suppose yeah you yeah. fizzle out a bit don't you sadly but you know there's still there's still a lot of positivity that you can do mm-hmm. um, you know lots of things that we can all do mm-hmm. um, so so let's let's try and focus on those you know we, with the with the puppy school forum you know, there's a lot of people that are talking about different things and and I try really hard to make sure that it's all positive and we don't yes. go down the rabbit hole of you know trashing somebody who's doing really bad things because it just eats up your energy and there's so much we need to do that we should be doing that really so you know we're allowed a little bit of oh my goodness aren't they horrible um but most of it has to be positive and what can we do to change the world because that's the important bit Mm, that's brilliantly put yeah how to have a positive mindset yourself and focus on the good like we would do with our dogs I think is uh amazing so and and um your books as well if someone I was going to say that you've authored incredible books that people can go and get if they want to train their puppies so um you've got your perfect puppy book which is out people can buy that at the moment Yes, that's that's an edition two. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just finished writing edition three, which should be out next um, next year, possibly mm-hmm. for the Christmas market, I think. Um, and that that's just very much more up to date. But there's still the there's still there's still edition two out there. Um, there's also a book I wrote um, a couple of years ago called The Natural Dog, which mm-hmm. I'm really proud of it because it's got lots of scientific references in, and there's lots of information about for for just nice people who have have you know normal dog who just want to do that little bit more for that dog um that's what it's designed for and it's called the natural dog and there's lots of information particularly about diet in that because I worked with Nick Thompson you know the, the lovely course, yeah, yeah. Um, so he worked with me on that and helped me get that right um a lot of information on diet and and lots of scientific references and everything for the way we we need to keep dogs in a positive way that makes them happy and builds a good relationship. Brilliant! Yeah, they're they're amazing books. How many copies? How many have you set, sold of um, the Perfect Puppy? Oh, do you know? I can't tell you because they don't keep. Amazingly, oh. amazingly, the provinces don't keep records. But you know, it's been in in print now since 1995. So yeah. and books only usually last two years. So it's amazing, really, that it carried on. And I always used to think people used to come up to me and say, oh, I've got your book and I raised my dog with it. And I used to think, oh, no, now they're going to tell me you <laughs> badly behaved. But it's amazing that that they have never done that. They've always said, oh, she's a lovely dog, you know, and and 
I've, I've, that's happened all over the world. And, and I've been really pleased that that has been the case because, you know, I didn't make too many mistakes when I wrote it. And I wrote it really from the perspective of seeing the bad things that happened to dogs and the reasons why they came in to rescue and then reversing that and saying, well, if you change that round, how can we avoid that? So that's where it came from, really. It was it was how not to do it, how to do it, um, because I'd learned how not to do it oh, from rescue yeah. people. Yeah. Oh, it must have sold so many thousands and thousands and thousands. You always say it at bookshops, but um, no, that's brilliant. And is there, I think we'll start to wrap it up there because you've covered so much which I'm really grateful for you've honestly shared so much I think if you're a puppy owner if you're a dog owner if you're a dog trainer I think there's um if you want to be a dog trainer there's so much in here so um yes thank you so much for coming on Gwen I hope you've enjoyed it yeah I think yeah people are going to go away with with lots to go and cover so thank you so much good thank you the way that Gwen explains things and speaks about things is really clear and she brings an incredible amount of clarity. So I hope that you've taken away a huge amount from today's podcast episode and I'm truly grateful for Gwen giving up her time to do so. To find out more, you can find Puppy School at www.puppyschool.co.uk and there is also all of the information to become a tutor if this has sparked a little bit of interest in you too. You can buy The Perfect Puppy Book and The Natural Dog as well as all her other books as well and you can search for Puppy School at Puppy School UK on Instagram and at Puppy School on Facebook too. Please do let me and Gwen know if you've loved this episode and do feel free to share it with anybody that you think this might be good for, whether they're an owner or whether they're a wannabe trainer or whether they're a trainer as well. So thanks again so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you.